Here's my whole point for this series. I just want to ask you a question. What would your life look like if you had incredible, out-of-the-box, death-defying, you could even describe it as over-the-top faith? Like, what would your life look like? What's the ideal picture of faith? Like, what would your life look like if you had the kind of faith where literally things could not get any worse? Like, everything is hitting the fan, everything is just out of control, and yet you have the kind of faith of, man, I just believe that God's with me in this, I wouldn't choose this, but I even believe that he can use my hurt for a better future. Like, what if in the midst of your darkest moment you had that kind of faith? What if you had the kind of faith of, like, things are awesome, trend lines are up and to the right, and usually those are the times where it could seduce us into going off the rails, and yet you recognize that anything good in my life is from God, it's for God, and it's actually to be leveraged for his kingdom purposes? What if you had that kind of faith to trust God at that level? What if you had the kind of faith that like you, you moved into a place where you stopped being crippled by the, the pain of doubt or discouragement, or disappointment, or anxiety, and you are willing to move forward with whatever God's asking you to do, believing that on the other side of conquering that fear, there really is John 10.10 available. Life to the full. What what if you had that kind of faith, where Jesus is asking you to do something so countercultural, so weird that nobody else understands it, and you're like, man, God, I just believe you. I just have faith in you. I just trust you in this, and I'm willing to move forward despite my anxiety, despite my doubt, despite the fear of possible disappointment. I just believe you. Like, what if Jesus is asking you into something in terms of how you handle your relationship or priorities or finances, and it's so hard to believe and trust, but you just believe even though it's hard that on the other side of saying yes to whatever God's asking you to do, there really is freedom. There really is peace. There really is ultimate fulfillment. What if you just believed God at that level? Like, think about it this way. What if you had the kind of faith where your past did not hold you back anymore? What if you had the kind of faith where you were not hemmed in by your insecurity? What if you had the kind of faith where you are willing to, even if you're not sure, even if there's some hesitancy, you're willing to initiate, you're willing to see what God's doing around you and go, I'm just gonna go for it. I'm gonna risk, I'm gonna have faith at the level that as I engage in what God's doing in the world around me, God's gonna be with me. Like, what if you had the kind of faith where you moved in the direction of people who did not deserve for you to love them and you loved them anyway because you had that kind of faith? Or you moved in the direction of somebody that pops into your mind right now that, that they need to be forgiven but they don't deserve your forgiveness, but you are so rooted in the fact that you can trust God, that God will come through, that whatever God has told you to do, man, he is going to meet you there. What if you had that kind of faith? What if you had the kind of faith where you began to step out in urgency right now in terms of how you live your life and you stop playing it safe? Can I just like be honest for a second? I try to be every week, but like there's just a bunch of us, man, they're just, we're playing it safe. What if you believed at the level that I'm gonna move forward and as I move forward and take steps, it's gonna bl- obliterate the fear that everybody else is experiencing. What if you had the kind of faith where you believed? The kind of faith where you believe that God literally, if you're a part of his family, if you've trusted him, that he has a divine destiny for your life. It's bigger than your past. It's bigger than your shortcoming. It's bigger than your IQ. It's bigger than where you think you don't measure up. Like, what if you had that kind of faith? What if you had the kind of faith where, man, you are just willing to move forward and trust God in every circumstance of your life? Like, what if you had that kind of faith? 
And here's the thing. You maybe have met people with that kind of faith before, and isn't this true? I don't know if you've ever had this experience. You want to give them some more information to kind of shake them back into reality, don't you? You're like, dude, I don't think you're understanding what's going on. I don't think you have all the details. I think you're a little bit naive. Like you have a grandma who has incredible faith, and she's like, we're just trusting God. We just believe God. I'm just going to move forward with God. And you want to go, grandma, do you even have an IQ? Do you know what's, you shouldn't say that to your grandma, but do you know what's going on around you? Do you understand the circumstances? Like, oh, no, we just have faith. We just believe God. And you kind of think it's a little naive. You kind of need to give them some more information to shake them back into reality. Or maybe you've met somebody that's going through a really difficult time, and their faith, their belief in God through that difficult time, it's, it's causing you to draw conclusions about God. Like, maybe God's not good, maybe God's not with you, or I don't think there could be a God who would allow that, and you are seemingly forced into drawing conclusions about the fact that you don't believe in God because of their circumstances, and yet they're in the circumstances going, man, we just trust God. We believe that God has a plan through this. It, we wouldn't choose it, but we believe that he's going to take this pain and this hurt and leverage it for our future. Like, have you ever met people with massive faith where you just think, man, how could that be? How could you operate that way? How could you move forward like that? How could you trust God at that level? Here's the thing that I want you to know, and this is the whole context of this series. God wants to develop that kind of faith in you. That kind of faith is available to you, to me. And here, isn't this true? If you're not a follower of Christ, whether you're online or in the house and you're trying to figure out the Jesus thing, and we have people like that every single weekend, we love that you're here. Isn't it true that you could even look at somebody who maybe you don't believe everything they believe, and there is something like awe-inspiring about their faith, even if you don't believe in the God they believe in. Like there's something captivating about somebody who's, man, I'm just willing to risk, I'm willing to go forward, I'm willing to trust God at this level. Like there's something that inspires you about that. God wants to produce that kind of faith in your life. God wants to move you to the place that we're in every circumstance. Trend line's going up, the bottom's dropping out, you're not really sure, it's uncertain, but I'm going to follow God into the uncertainty with no guarantee of the outcome because God, I just trust you. God, I just have faith in you. God wants to lead you to that place. See, here's the thing. In the scriptures, when you go to the Garden of Eden, where it all got started, I know some of you don't believe that, but we do because Jesus referenced it and Jesus rose from the grave. And so anybody who comes back to life, we just believe whatever they say. And so he talks about Genesis, Adam and Eve in the garden, perfect environment, utopian, one guy, one woman, they're both naked. Adam has to have no game. I mean, it's just him and one woman. Like he doesn't, he doesn't even have to try. How amazing is that? What an incredible environment, like good food. I mean, it's just, it it was perfect. And God basically said, all of this is to reflect my glory. I'm just going to give you one rule to basically prove to you that submission to God is a good thing because I want a relationship that's based on trust. And what does Adam and Eve do? They basically go off the rails to go, God, I don't think we can trust you. And the thing that sent everything off the rails wasn't just obedience. It was an issue of trust. God, I think you're holding out on us. God, I think we're going to miss out on something. God, I don't know if you can be trusted. And suddenly this break between man and God happened over the issue of trust. And God has been trying to restore that trust and faith ever since. It's why. Your relationship with Jesus is initiated by an act of trust, and it continues by the development of that trust and that faith. That's what God wants to do in your life. 
Even in the Old Testament, you have the Israelites. I don't know if you know this story. They're taken out of Egyptian captivity. And here's the cool thing that God does is that he leads them out of Egypt and he develops and initiates a relationship with them based on trust before he ever gives them the Ten Commandments. Because what he wanted the Israelites to know is, listen, I I want a relationship that is built by faith. And once I have that, then I'm going to go, okay, here you go. Here's what I want you to do because now you trust me. We have a relationship together. That's what you see in the New Testament. If you thought the whole deal is about do these nine things or these seven things, you couldn't be more wrong, but that's probably what somebody told you. The whole New Testament is God wants a relationship that is built on trust and on faith because the epicenter of great relationships is trust, right? God wants to grow your trust. God wants to grow your faith, not just your obedience, not just your knowledge. God wants to move you to a place where it's not law. It is, I want you to grow to a place where you know I'm for you. I have the best interest at heart for you and that you have faith in every situation and in every circumstance. That's the whole scripture. That's what God wants to do in our life, that trust and faith and relationship always precedes everything else. Now, can I just say this? I just want to make sure I'm really clear, that obedience is not the thing that's number one on God's agenda. Knowledge is not the thing that's number one on God's agenda. Isn't this true? You can have obedience and not trust. Like, I have three kids. I have um, my little girl, and then I've got my medium-sized boy, and then I've got this gigantic one-year-old that's a freak of nature, if you ever meet my kids. But the two oldest toddlers, they're toddler age, so, and you don't listen, I'm comfortable in my own skin. We bribe them a lot at this age because it's effective, right? Like I'm okay with, I want to, I want to give the why behind it, but I want to coerce you into obedience. So I would, to my three-year-old son, um, like literally I'll bribe him to go, listen, if you do not crap on your floor again, I will give you your 49th Lightning McQueen car. Like I'll do that. I know you have 48, but if it'll work, I'll give you, if you will not rub your crap on the wall in your room, I will do whatever. Sorry. I know it's not, it's even, it's before lunch, but like I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. I will bribe you. But then every once in a while, here's what happens. I'll bribe him to a certain point, And then when he doesn't get what he wants, he'll turn on me. Because, because I have kind of, like, I, I got his obedience, but I don't have his trust yet. Like, long term, the thing that's most honoring to me in my relationship with my kids when they get older, I mean, right now, I'll just settle for obedience. I want them to trust me. I want them to know that I am for them. The most honoring thing for God in your relationship with him is not your obedience. That comes second. The thing that God wants is a relationship that is built on trust to say, God, I believe you. God, I will move forward with you. God, I will say yes to this because I know you have something better on the other side. This is the whole Christian journey. Like this is why our mission at CC is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That is what we want to do. And the thing that's growing is your faith. The thing that's growing is your trust in your heavenly father. The thing that God wants to do is blow up, activate, and ignite your faith above everything else. And and here's the thing sociologists say that in great relationships, I mean, we know this just practically, that the thing that makes great relationships is that both parties go to ridiculous lengths to trust one another. Well, I know you didn't come home on time, but I'm sure there's an explanation for that. I know you didn't follow through the way you said you would, but I'm sure something happened that you haven't been able to relate to me yet. They go to ridiculous lengths to trust because that's what makes great relationships, and that's what God wants in his relationship with you. And come on, isn't this true if you're not a Christian? One of the reasons that you've not engaged or maybe said, man, I'm going to place my faith in Christ is not an obedience thing. 
the issue or the pushback or the resistance for you is I don't know if God can be trusted. I don't know if I can move forward with this and that God really has my best interest at heart. I'm not sure that if I take this step, I'm not going to miss out on something. The whole thing, the whole deal, the whole scripture is about re-engaging, reigniting, and moving you into a journey that is based on faith and trust in your heavenly Father. So one day, Jesus was with two guys, and they both have Jesus do a miracle for them, but they both express faith, but one of these two guys in this narrative, this historical narrative, expresses faith in a way that literally captures Jesus' attention. Like, imagine, like, you, you're, like, walking around with Jesus, or you meet Jesus in the city, and you do something that wows Jesus, where Jesus is like, that is legit. Like, that is incredible. That causes me to stop in my tracks. On this historical narrative, these two guys express faith, but one expresses faith in a way that moves the heart of God. And what's really interesting, again, it wasn't around the issue of obedience. It wasn't this thing where Jesus, you know, applauds him because he didn't do something. Oh, you didn't commit adultery. Congratulations. Golf clap. That is amazing. You you didn't lie. Congratulations. That's incredible. It had nothing to do with obedience. It had everything to do with this issue of trust, this issue of faith that literally moved the heart of God, moved the heart of Jesus. Listen, can I just say this real quick and we'll dive into the narrative? I think that many of us who claim to be followers of Christ, many of our churches, we've moved to the place where we are so kind of um, focused in on avoiding evil and avoiding bad that we have forgotten that we are a part of a revolutionary movement to do good. Listen, it's as if God would show up to us and go, hey, you've rid your life of sin? Awesome, that's great. Do something. This whole movement was not based on what you're not going to do or what you're going to avoid or the fact that you're not going to engage in evil or that you're going to rid yourself of all of the bad. That's like 101 JV level. I have created a movement where I want you to do something. I want you to walk by faith. I want you to live a life of death-defying. God, I will trust you in every circumstance. Come on, here's what I want you to know. It's a little uncomfortable for this series. But you cannot follow God in neutral This thing that we have been invited into, come on, if I could just push back, it has become nothing more in a lot of circles than just attending something, sitting our butt in a seat, getting in a circle with other people, reading, accumulating knowledge, patting ourselves on the back over our obedience. And Jesus says to every single one of us, I want more for you than that. This is a movement based on you doing something and walking by faith and trust in your heavenly father who, by the way, flung the stars into place and is the creator and manufacturer of the universe and invites you, follow me, walk with me by faith. And you can't really please me until you do. You're never going to experience fully what I have for you until you do. So one day, Jesus, Matthew 8, 1, I'd love for you to see this if you're like new to the whole Bible thing. You can get the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, NIV version is what I'm reading out of, or it's going to be on the screen. But I'd love for you to engage with this yourself. Here's where this narrative picks up, where these two different guys express faith kind of in the middle of Jesus' ministry. Matthew 8, verse 1, when he came down from the mountainside, this is Jesus, large crowds followed him. And a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord... If you are willing, i.e., I I believe, if you are willing, can you make me clean? Basically, okay, God, I know that you can. I'm just asking if you're willing. And Jesus reached out his hand, 
And he touched the man and said, I'm willing, be clean. And immediately he was cured of his leprosy, which we look at that and go, that is incredible. Everybody's around Jesus, they've kind of seen this before. Well, you turn water into wine. That was an incredible day. You, you've, you've given sight to the blind. So this is amazing, but like we've kind of see, we've seen you do this kind of stuff before. And then verse 5, after curing this man of leprosy, Jesus entered a different town, the town of Capernaum, and a centurion came to him. Now, real quick, here's what a centurion was. He's a Roman soldier that basically has 100 men under his authority. So you maybe know this, but during this time in the first century, Roman, the Romans were occupiers. They were oppressors. The Jewish people were kind of under their rule. They did not get along. They did not like each other. And so a Roman centurion comes to Jesus and his guys, who are all Jewish, and he's asking for help. And again, I, this is my wild imagination, but I guarantee you, Jesus' disciples, when the centurion is rolling up on them, is like, oh, Matthew's busted. They're, they're going to grab Matthew and take him away as a tax collector. And generally what Romans would do is they'd come into villages, they'd say, hey, you, you, and you, I'd like you to come with us, and then people would never see them again. They ripped people off. Again, they oppressed. They did not like each other. And so immediately all of Jesus' guys are like nervous. And so he came to Jesus, the centurion, asking for help. And he says, verse 6, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed. And in terrible suffering. And again, you're going to think this is over the top, but I guarantee you Jesus' disciples are thinking, good. We hope he dies. In fact, we hope you, Mr. Centurion, go back there and it's some kind of viral disease and you catch it too and you die. Because you guys are, like, you're horrible. You're evil. We want nothing to do with you. And so the nerve that you have to come up on Jesus asking Jesus for help, are you serious? And so he says, Lord, my servant lies paralyzed at home. He's in terrible suffering. And so verse 7, Jesus said to him, I will go and I'm going to heal him. And Jesus' disciples are like, oh, Jesus, you can't do that. Like if you start healing Roman people, I mean, they already think we're a part of a knockoff cult. All of the Jewish leaders are going to run us out of town. You can't move in the direction to heal or to help Roman people. And so verse 8, the centurion replied, I love this, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. And the disciples are like, that is true. (laughs) End of verse 8. But Jesus, this is so cool. Just say the word. Like, just speak it. Just utter it. Just say the word. And my servant will be healed. Now, just get the context for a second. This Roman didn't grow up in Jewish Sunday school. He'd never gone to the temple. He didn't have the Torah, which was their version of part of the Old Testament. He didn't know any of that. He didn't have any of that knowledge. He didn't know any of what Jesus' disciples knew. He just knew a little bit about what he had seen and what he had heard about Jesus. He is working on limited knowledge. He had not learned any verses along the way and knew no worship songs. And there he is going, okay, Jesus, I know about you. And I know that all you have to do because of your track record is speak the word, it's going to happen. Meaning, you don't even need to come to my house. You can just do this remotely. I have that kind of faith. And I'm telling you, Jesus' audience is silent. Jesus' audience is wowed as they listen to this centurion, who they hate, interact with Jesus. But just say the word, says the centurion, and my servant, he's going to be healed. And then I love this, verse 9, for I myself am a man under authority. Pause. Meaning, Jesus, you and I have something in common. I don't know how tall you are, 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, I'm about the same size, but I'm Roman, you're Jewish. But here's what we have in common. 
you tell nature what to do and nature obeys you. And you tell dead people to stop being dead and they stop being dead. And you tell blind people to see and then they see. Meaning nature and disease obeys you. Here's what we have in common, Jesus, is I'm a Roman centurion. I have a hundred men who are under my authority, which means I tell them, go here, they do it. I tell them, get me this for lunch, and they bring it back to me. But I have a hundred men who do whatever I say, and the reason they do whatever I say is because I have authority behind me. I represent somebody. I represent Rome. And because I represent Rome, they will do whatever I tell them to do. Jesus, you tell nature to obey. You tell dead people to stop being dead. You bring sight to the blind, meaning you have some kind of authority behind you and you represent somebody, but it's way bigger than Rome. Wow. It is way beyond Rome. And so I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me, says the centurion. And I tell this one, go, and he does, and this one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he just does it. And this is so incredible. And when Jesus heard this, he was astonished. Thamazo, uh, this Greek word, it's the only time you see this associated with Jesus experiencing this as a result of somebody else. That as this centurion interacts with him and his gigantic, massive, out-of-the-box faith literally moves Jesus to be wowed to be amazed, to be astonished. And again, he's not astonished at this guy's obedience. In fact, I'm betting this guy is batting below the Mendoza line of the Ten Commandments. He didn't do any of the things he was supposed to. He didn't have any of the knowledge of Jesus' disciples. And yet there he is before Jesus, and Jesus is astonished. He's amazed. He's moved. And he said to those following him, and this is such a punch in the face to Jewish people in the first century. The Jewish people who were like the chosen people, who knew all of theology, who never missed a day in temple. I tell you the truth, I've not found anyone, including you fools, in Israel with such great faith. The thing that moves the heart of God the thing that gets the attention of God, and there are things that get the attention of God in a unique way, the thing that moves your Savior and your Heavenly Father to be astonished is great faith. I believe that you are who you say you are, and I believe that you will do everything that you have promised to do, and I will walk by faith to trust you in every area of my life. Listen, you have obedience, awesome. You can have obedience and be an idiot, you have a lot of knowledge in theology. You've met a lot of people with a lot of knowledge and a lot of theology who are impossible to be around. Jesus says, above all of that, in order for your obedience and your knowledge to not lead you off the rails, this is the thing that I'm after in your life, and it is available to everybody. See, we have this idea, man, there's like a chosen few who kind of, they'll enter into the, they have the gift of great faith. You'll see nothing to that effect in the scriptures, that if you have placed your faith and trust in Christ, you are called to this, and in fact, it's God's number one agenda for your life that you would move to a place to trust him in every circumstance of your life. And so here's what I want to do for the next five weeks is I want to talk about or answer the question, okay, so if I'm in, what, how, what does that look? Like, how does God grow my faith? How does God activate? How does God blow up my faith in a way that, like, I'm characterized by what you're talking about, where I'm just trusting God in every part, in every area of my life? Like, what does this look like? 
And so here's what I would tell you, that if you sat down with any individual that maybe you look at, maybe you had a grandparent, maybe you met somebody in college, maybe you had a friend, but there was somebody that you interacted with at some point in your life, and you would just characterize their life as, man, they have incredible faith. Like, they trust God in a way that I've never seen. Here's what I will almost guarantee that you will find, is generally in kind of the overall map of their life, you will find five things that show up that God leveraged to grow their faith. And he uses some more than others, but I, I think I've never met a person where I've had that kind of conversation where these five things didn't show up, that God didn't use these things at different levels to grow and to blow up their faith. And so for the next few weeks, we want to look at, okay, what are those things if we would take the huge step to go, I'm in, God, I want to grow in this area. I want to have that kind of faith. These are the five things that God's going to use. These are the five things that God's going to leverage in your life. And the first one is this. I want to go through them real quick, is that anybody's story of growing faith, there's a story about a providential relationship in their life. Anybody who talks about incredible faith, at some point there's, hey, I met this girl, and then I met this guy, and I'm telling you, it's crazy. I probably wouldn't use this word, but it's like God dropped them into my life at the perfect time when I needed it most, and it did something to my faith. It was, it was providential. It's like God orchestrated it. Maybe it was a time where, man, you didn't have the faith to keep moving forward and you developed a relationship with somebody and it's as if in that season they had the faith that you were lacking to keep you going. Or maybe it was a, a time where you got with somebody where you got relationship began to develop at a deep level and they inspired you in your journey to follow Jesus in a way that you'd never experienced it before. Like you had never met somebody like that. Or maybe you were in a place where you were struggling with a habit, with a sin, with an addiction, and you were at your lowest point where you thought, there's no way I can ever get freedom or victory over this. And then they started to tell a story about how they were right where you are now, and that God redeemed them, freed them, gave them victory, and now they're living in this place that they never thought was available. And that was the catalyst for God to begin to do something at the level of your faith to say, God, I trust you, and I believe this is possible in my life. Everybody's growing faith is going to have a story about providential relationship. The second thing is this, that everybody's growing faith has a story about personal ministry when they stepped out and they were scared to death. They were underqualified, but they looked at what Jesus was doing around them in the world, maybe in a church setting, at an organization in their city, and they just said, Jesus, I want you to use my life for your glory. And they were completely scared to death. They went on a mission trip. They got in a room with eight-year-olds who were the most intimidating people in the world and just said, Jesus, I think this is what you want from me. They were willing to serve. They were willing to engage in something they knew they weren't smart enough for. And they were just like, Jesus, you've got to work. You've got to do this. I'll never forget, as a college student, college age with my sister, we're about three years apart, we signed up to do a vacation Bible school class back in the day. Um, some of you still do vacation Bible school. We don't do it here because there's 7,000 of them within three miles here, so you can go to one of those. But um, vacation Bible school is incredible. And so we decided we were going to teach an elementary um, group of kids, and we had never done it before. And so I did my part, and I was horrible, but I, like, I did the best I could. And, and then my sister was supposed to get up and do her part, like teaching them this verse. And I'll never forget, right before she goes up, she's like, we're in the back of the room. I think I'm going to throw up. 
I think I'm going to throw up. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, no, I, seriously, I think I'm going to throw up. I tried to find a bag that she could hyperventilate into. And I'm like, they're eight years old. Like, what, what is your problem? And she just said, I can't, I can't do it. I'm going to throw up. And so finally, like, I, I think I physically pushed her to the front. And she just got over those first few sentences where she's stumbling through it. And then she kind of got her second wind and got into a rhythm. And, like, she did it. And then on the other side of it, she had to just go, like, just detox after the experience. But it was it was horrifying for her. And my, holy, my point is just this. If you ever want your faith to really grow, for God to really do something, you have to have some, I'm going to throw up moments somewhere along the way. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where you are completely overwhelmed. And I'll tell you why that grows your faith. Because maybe for the first time in your life, you'll start to learn how to pray your own prayers. God, I need you. For the first time in your life, you will have to fully and completely depend on God to do something in you and through you that he could not do any other way. But I'm just telling you, if you want your faith to grow, it's going to involve looking at what Jesus is doing around you and go, I'm going to step into that and God, you got to work. And here's what's going to happen for some of you. You are going for the first time to realize God really does have a divine destiny for your life. And it's bigger than your past, and it's bigger than your insecurities, and it's bigger than all the things that you think you can't do very well. The other thing God's going to do is he's going to increase your passion. Here's the, here's the cool thing, man. i got to move on, but this is where Christianity gets a bad rap. Christianity is not about the suppression of desire. It's about the transformation of desire. Psalm 37.4 says, when you delight yourself, this is my paraphrase and what God's doing in the world around you. When you delight yourself in the Lord and his kingdom activity, that God will literally translate it, transform the desires of your heart. That you will live in a place where you could not be more passionate. That's what God wants to do. And when you step out and you are overwhelmed and underqualified, which is a great place to be, you have to get to a place where your little bit of faith intersects with God's faithfulness and your faith begins to grow. Third thing is this, anybody's story of faith includes private disciplines. And what I mean is at some point along the way, somebody sat down with you and said, man, here's how you study the scripture. Like you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have, like I'm not, but here's, here's a verse. Here's a couple verses a week. Here's how you begin to personally get in the scriptures and allow God to begin to speak in your life. Or here's how you begin to pray, even if you don't know how to pray. Prayer is a learned thing. I'll never forget community group with a good friend of mine had just trusted Christ and about his third community group in, he's like, can I pray? I'm like, all right, yeah, go ahead, man. And so he just starts praying, and it was the greatest prayer in the world because he didn't know any of the Christian cliches. He just is talking. And then he gets to the end, and he starts stumbling because he doesn't know how to end, so he's like, uh, the end. Like, that's how he ended his prayer. Like, that's what I'm talking about. That is a great prayer. Like, you learn for the first time that prayer is about relationship, and as you begin to engage in it, you begin to experience intimacy. You begin to understand what Paul says about the scriptures, this library of books, that it really is Hebrews. It really is living and powerful. And I know some of you, maybe many of you have never experienced that before, but I'm telling you, it's possible. And God's going to use this to grow your faith when you learn to personally engage with it. This has got to be a part of your story. I'll never forget being on a beach at Anna Maria Island. I was going through a reading plan that I do every year, and I got to this story about Jonathan and David, and something about this particular story about Jonathan and this incredible act of courage that he displayed, I mean, it was exactly what I needed to hear when I needed to hear it. And I'll never forget that moment because that was a defining moment in my life where I got up from my quiet time on the beach and I shut the Bible and I knew exactly what God wanted me to do after months and months of wrestling. 
that after reading about the courage of Jonathan, I knew at that moment when I got done that God had called me to start a church. I knew what it should look like, and I knew the thing that had held me back was my insecurity and my fear and what was at stake on the other side of it. And it was that moment as if God was speaking audibly to go, this is what I want for your life. I'm telling you, when your faith begins to grow, God begins to do something personally through prayer and his word that blows up and activates your confidence in God. You, you begin to understand that this isn't pain-free, problem-free, but when I start following Jesus, Jesus makes my life better and he makes me better at life. Hey, here's, the, here's the fourth thing that this is going to be a part of your story is practical teaching, that at some point along the way, somebody invites you, and I'll explain this as we go in the series, but invites you into an environment, a Bible study, something where the first time somebody unpacks the scriptures in a way that you understand it, and it's clear. And hopefully that's happening here. This is one of our driving passions, not just for skeptics and cynics, though we want to make the scriptures really clear and accessible to them, but we want 40-year followers of Christ who've been in the church all their life to walk away and go, that's clear and I know what to do. See, sometimes we confuse um, clear with not being deep. A lot of you have the idea of deep as you walk away. Well, he used 17 Greek words and I have no idea what he was talking about. I don't understand it, but man, that was deep. No, that was probably just not clear. You can be clear and deep at the same time. This is actually a little bit of my rant because I get accused for not being deep. Maybe it's just that it's clear. But you need to be in a place where you are moved in the direction where you know what to do and then you start to do it. Because here's the deal. Practical teaching without doing anything does you absolutely no good. But you begin to realize as you walk away and you know what to do and then you actually start to do it that God starts to move in your life and grow your faith. I mean, come on, you want to know what God's will is for your life right now? I'll just make this so simple for you. Do what you know to do, and you'll know what to do. Do what you know to do, and you'll know what to do. Here's, here's what is unpacked in Scripture, is that obedience always precedes direction, and that God always clarifies in the midst of obedience, he does not clarify beforehand. If you want your faith to start growing, get in an environment where you start understanding the Scriptures, you know what to do, and then you actually do it, and God will begin to blow up your faith. God will begin to create a track record of his faithfulness in a way that you could not experience any other way. And then the last thing is, everybody's story of growing faith is going to involve some pivotal circumstances. For God to grow your faith big, usually it surrounds something big that happens. There's a moment where you lose somebody and you don't know your next play. There's a moment where the bottom drops out for you financially. You begin to struggle with some depression and anxiety, and, and you don't know how to free yourself of that. You move to a place where you lose a friendship, you lose a child, but there's some kind of pivotal circumstances that takes the legs out from under you. And every single person's story of growing faith involves one of these circumstances where they have some people around them, and they choose to lean in rather than run from God to go, God, I'm going to believe what you say in your word, that there is not a single hurt that you're ever going to waste. And there's not a single pain that you are ever going to waste. And there is no past that's going to push me beyond the reach of your grace. And I would never choose this, but I'm going to lean into you and I'm going to trust you that you're going to be faithful in the process and that you can use my pain and hurt as a platform for a better future. And here's what I'll tell you will happen is that if you decide to not bail out and lean in during these pivotal circumstances, you will come out on the other side certain of who God is. And you will become certain of your relationship with him. 
And God wants to use these in your life to change and transform your faith. And it's not just bad things. Sometimes it's good things. Have you ever, if you've had a child, like that is the ultimate, oh crap moment that I could ever, like they hand you, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Don't leave me up here. They hand you that kid and in that moment you're like, I am responsible for this thing. And it's in that moment for a lot of people that that's a pivotal circumstance where they go, what do I do? I take him to church. Like, we, he needs help, and we don't know what we're doing. And that's the thing that begins to draw them back and begins to grow up their faith. My whole point is this. God wants to lead you to a place to produce and experience that kind of faith, and you have to be willing to take some steps. But this isn't a to-do list. You can't go out tomorrow and go, hey, please go to a pivotal circumstance on Tuesday right? Go do a providential relationship. What you can do is as you know and as you position yourself and as you're willing to do what you know, God will begin to use these things to intersect your life and to grow and to blow up your faith. So my prayer in my heart, and I can't overstate this, I'm praying that this would not just be another series. This would be a revolutionary next five weeks where God would move in the hearts of a lot of us who I believe legitimately have a hunger to grow in faith, but we've never taken the steps, or maybe we don't know what the steps are. And that God would begin to do something as we step out to do what we know to do. But here's my promise, when you don't, when you don't do what you know, you will become paralyzed by everything that you don't know. God is calling you to go, man, as I unveil these things for you, I want you to be willing to go, God, I'm in, because I want my faith to grow at that level. And come on, can you imagine, can you imagine what would happen in your relationship, in your marriage, in your parenting with that thing that you have held back from doing because you are hiding behind so much insecurity and doubt? Can you imagine what would happen with you? Can you imagine what would happen in our community? Can you imagine what God would do through our churches? When we stop settling for sitting in rows and checking off boxes and being obedient and avoiding evil and instead realize we have been called to be a movement and a force for good that pushes back darkness and honors and glorifies God and who is not afraid of anything because we serve a resurrected Christ. Can you imagine what would take place? Here's what I know. The greater the faith, the greater the relationship, the deeper the intimacy. And all of these things, here's, here's, they can either lead you off the rails or they can lead you to growing faith. If you do these things with simply the idea of I just want to be obedient and get more knowledge, come on, we don't need any more of those people. You'll become pharisaical, judgmental, arrogant, annoying, and impossible to be around. And you should watch online. I love you. <laughs> this has to be from the position of God. This is not knowledge accumulation. Information doesn't lead to transformation. I want you to grow my faith. And here's the thing. I think a lot of us want growing faith. We don't want to engage in the tedious journey that actually grows that faith. So can, can I just, and I say this with all love, can we just stop praying for a movement of God? And can we just move? Some of us are, oh, I'm just waiting on God. Maybe you're not. Maybe God's waiting on you. I think we've really overcomplicated this. Would you just be willing to take a step? Would you just be willing to do what you know to do? And I can just promise you this, and this may seem over the top, it's not. God wants to change the world through you. God wants to change the world through his church. God wants us to turn cities and communities upside down, and it doesn't happen by them being amazed at our obedience. It happens when we engage in the kind of faith that Jesus is talking about. And I'm telling you, God wants you to experience life to the full, but it only happens to the extent that you are willing to walk by faith. So let's move. 
Let's create a movement of people who get up every day in the midst of that divorce or kids that have gone off the rails or uncertainty or this huge thing that God's calling you to risk. And you just get up under those circumstances and you do what anybody would do who's about to get a divorce or kids went off the rails or there's so much uncertainty or there's so much at risk. You just do what anybody would do in those circumstances that was absolutely confident that God was with them and that he has something on the other side. Isn't this interesting? It's the last thing because the, the red ominous clock is ticking down. In the New Testament, the people who knew the most, the people who had the most knowledge, didn't recognize Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, all my Jewish friends, let me introduce you to the centurion who doesn't know anything that you do, got no pins in Awana, does not own a Torah, is not obedient, his life is off the rails, but I'm telling you, this guy is moving my attention in his direction because obedience and faith is what I'm after. And when you begin to take steps of faith and trust in Christ, it's going to take care of everything else. I want you to engage at the level where you stop playing it safe, where you stop thinking that avoiding bad is good enough, where you stop being satisfied with sitting in a row, you stop being satisfied with a moral checklist and realize that you are a part of something that requires death-defying, out-of-the-box faith because that's what Jesus is inviting you into and Jesus will be with you. So would you be willing to move? I don't know what that looks like. I'm not asking you to do anything right now, but would you be willing to move? Would you be willing over the next few weeks to do what you know to do? And could God spark a revival and a movement even through us? Would you pray with me, Jesus? I thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. I thank you for the unmistakable, palpable move of the Spirit of God. I thank you for those that came here today hungry, like this whole issue of faith was, uh, man, I want this. I thank you for those that you've led here who didn't know what they were getting into today, and this is exactly what they needed to hear when they needed to hear it. I pray, God, that you would do something at the level of our heart. This is, this is my prayer. This is a big prayer. Something at the level of our heart and hundreds of people that we've never experienced in our life. Pray you would blow up, grow up, activate, and initiate a different kind of faith. I pray that we would stop settling. And God, you would do something in all of us where we would begin to just do what we know and take steps forward and allow you to begin to leverage these things in our life in such a way that we'll never be the same again. And we pray this in your incredible name, the name of Jesus. Amen.